0: The United States Census Bureau has recently published their latest standards for poverty in America. Their latest report identifies the poverty line for a single person to be $11,702 for an annual income. But that's in America. On a global scale, that income would place you in the wealthiest 17.9% of the world, which translates to having a higher income than 5.4 billion people. The Census Bureau places the poverty line for a family of four at 22,811. But this is also in America. On a global scale, that income places you in the wealthiest 9.2% of the world, or higher than 5.9 billion people around the globe. And for anyone who takes home an annual income of $133,000 or more, they find themselves in the wealthiest 0.1%. Of the world's population. Last spring I took St. Peter's Youth Group on a weekend trip to Heifer's Global Village where they got to experience firsthand what it's like to live with minimal food and shelter and resources. But there's also a video that I had our youth members watch both before and after our trip to Heifer Ranch. This video is in a series by a pastor named Rob Bell and the video is called Rich. I wanted them to watch the video because it's a pretty stark reminder of how fortunate all of us are. And so for the coming four weeks, our youth group talked about the systemic issues that surround poverty. My hope was, and that it still is, that they'll become inspired to make a difference in the world around them. My hope is also that as they grow into adulthood, they'll be guided by generosity. As this video begins, Rob asks some pretty difficult questions. He asks, do you have a car? Only 8% of the world's population has a car. And so 92% of the world population would see us driving a car, and it doesn't matter what kind of car, but they would see that and say, they're rich. He asks, have you had access to clean water today? Somewhere around a billion people don't. And he asks, have you eaten today? Around 800 million people won't eat today, and 300 million of them are children. The one statistic from this video that really sparks conversation among our youth is that experts say to provide basic water, health, and nutrition across the world, it would cost $20 billion. But that figure is also the same amount that Americans spend each year on ice cream. Now it just so happens that this video, Rich, is based on our reading today from 1 Timothy. And what we find in our readings today is that they have a lot to say about money and about wealth and what we do with our resources. In 1 Timothy, we're reminded that a devout life does bring wealth but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. It says that since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that should be enough. Now up front, I think it's important to state that there is nothing wrong with wealth, and there's nothing wrong with having resources. God never condemns anyone in Scripture simply just for having money. But I do believe that we are made for so much more than just accumulating money. And life is about so much more than just a bank account balance. In our reading in 1 Timothy, we're reminded that money can be both a blessing and a curse. And we heard that if it's money, if it's only money that we're after, we'll self-destruct in no time. We heard that lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. And by going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it. Today's reading in First Timothy were presented with a challenge that redefines what it means to be truly wealthy. This challenge is presented in the form of living lives of generosity so that we can take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's challenge was for those in the present age who are rich. Command them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, if we believe that it's true that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, then we must begin to look at all of our resources as gifts. Everything that we have becomes a gift. Food that we eat today, gift. Having a roof over our head this morning as a gift. The next breath that we take is a gift. I think if we begin to look at the world from this perspective generosity takes on a whole new meaning. Moving to today's Gospel reading from Luke we find the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And When comparing and contrasting these two central characters we are given a glimpse into two very different lived experiences. The parable begins by identifying the rich man as being dressed in the finest of purple linens. Yet we find that Lazarus is clothed with many sores. The rich man was able to eat like a king at every meal. And according to scholars, the wealthy elite in the first century not only dined well, but they used loaves of fresh bread as their napkins. Napkins were not used for the hands. Instead, guests wiped their hands on pieces of bread and then threw the pieces under the table. And we find that it was Lazarus who was reduced to begging simply for a chance to eat those crumbs. The rich man had the comfort of living safely in a gated community with countless amenities. Yet we find Lazarus lying on the ground outside of this gated community. And the depth of poverty and and hopelessness that Lazarus Lazarus experienced is noted by the graphic depiction of lo- of dogs licking his open sores. Both men in today's parable eventually died. And we find the rich man was given a proper burial, yet Lazarus dies alone and without a burial. So from today's parable, I think it becomes clear that the rich man's lived experience was one of continuous pleasure. Yet Lazarus's life was his life experience was filled with misery. Now there's one aspect that I love about parables found in scripture, and it's that they are timeless. I think they speak to us in a powerful way about by opening a door in which we can enter through our own lived experience. And one way in which today's parable is powerful is our collective ability to know what Lazarus looks like. Every city in America has countless people that look just like Lazarus. And I'm sure that we've all seen someone on the brink of despair, and I know that it's never easy to see this type of human suffering. And so when seeing a modern-day Lazarus, I find myself oftentimes feeling helpless and wondering what happened to that individual. What type of circumstances could lead to such extreme levels of poverty? In a book entitled, Parables as Subversive Speech, author William Herzog explores the same question for the Lazarus of the first century. And Herzog bluntly asks, where did beggars like Lazarus come from? In advanced agrarian societies, how did people like Lazarus come to such desperate straits? So about Lazarus, he says that most people like Lazarus began their life on a peasant farm or in a village. Lazarus may have had the misfortune of being born second or third among the the sons of the family. And because the family only had enough land for the eldest to inherit, he had to leave the family plot and seek work elsewhere. It is equally possible that he was a peasant farmer who had lost his patrimony through the oppressive foreclosure of mortgage by urban elites, who would have then added his small plot of land their expanding estate at first Lazarus may have worked as a day laborer in the countryside tending vines or bringing in the harvest but that type of work would have been seasonal unable to support himself by working as a day laborer in the country Lazarus probably migrated to the city looking for work but The city, no less than the country, was overrun with the excess of sons of the poor and with the forcibly displaced farmers. And so Lazarus's body would begin to deteriorate from malnutrition. Lazarus could no longer compete for jobs and he became vulnerable to disease. His cuts were no longer able to heal. Soon they obsessed and in time he turned to begging. And in time, begging became more difficult, and Lazarus knew that the the end was near. In regards to today's parable, I find it helpful if we look deeper into the systemic issues that may have contributed to Lazarus' situation. If we take the time to understand Lazarus' story, we see that at many points in his life, even the smallest levels of generosity may have prevented it. And as our parable from Luke today concludes, what we find is there was a significant role reversal. And this takes place in the afterlife. And in this reversal of roles, the rich man now finds himself in agony. And Lazarus is the one experiencing great comfort. This rich man finds himself begging probably for the first time in his life. And as their roles become reversed, what we see is that in their earthly life, Lazarus received not even a crumb from the rich man's table. And now the rich man does not receive even a drop of water from Lazarus's fingertip. But I think that if we were to walk away with an understanding from today's parable that reward and punishment were based simply on the two characters' level of wealth, I think we would miss the point. Earlier I stated that there is nothing wrong with wealth, and there is nothing wrong with having resources. God never condemns anyone in Scripture simply for having money. So likewise, today's parable is not simply about having money. When looking just a little deeper at today's parable, what I believe that we find is that the condemnation and punishment the rich man receives comes with his recognition of Lazarus. The rich man's recognition of Lazarus exposes the hardness of his heart. Our text reveals that Lazarus was not just a nameless, anonymous beggar at his gate. This rich man knew his name. Day after day in his earthly life, the rich man saw the depth of poverty experienced by Lazarus. He watched as malnutrition took its toll and he watched as illness took over Lazarus' body. This rich man was someone with countless resources, yet it was his choice to keep them all to himself. Yet upon arriving in the afterlife, he immediately recognized Lazarus, and he clearly knew his name. The problem was not the rich man's wealth. I think the problem was the way that he managed it. So this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, I believe, carries a timeless message. And it doesn't matter whether it's a first century context or a 21st century context. This parable forces us to ask difficult questions about what we do with our resources. And sometimes it's a difficult message. But I do believe that difficult messages always have a greater purpose. Jesus challenged his followers both to believe and experience that there was a better way of living life. Jesus challenged his followers to redefine what it means to be wealthy. In 1 Timothy, we're reminded that a devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. So in order to become a people of generosity in which Christ calls us to be, it means that we have to let go of our fears. We have to let go of a mentality of scarcity. And we have to trust that the totality of our possessions and resources are gifts that we were generously given. And so in the end, what we find is that true wealth and riches comes from generously giving life away not by holding on tightly to our possessions. There's a certain freedom in letting go. And when we are able to let go into generosity, that's when we take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen.